and welcome again to the official podcast of the Guitar Department at Berklee College of Music. My name's Ian, and we have another episode of Coffee Talk for you. In the guitar office, back before the pandemic, we would all find ourselves around the coffee machine listening to a longtime faculty member, telling the wildest story or sharing a deep bit of insight into music making and practice. Though we're only able to do this remotely these days, this exact thing happened this week with our guest, guitar professor Jeffrey Lockhart. In addition to being a genuinely fascinating person to talk to, Jeffrey Lockhart is, of course, a master of groove on the guitar. He's recorded with Beyonce and Dido, and he's performed with Lettuce, Al Evans of Soul Live, and many others. This interview will also be available on YouTube, and we have a ton of other great content on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so give us a like and a subscribe on whatever platform you use. Here's our interview with Jeffrey Lockhart. All right, we are recording. <laughs> hey, good morning, everybody. <laughs> good morning, everybody. I'm Jeffrey Larkart, professor at in the guitar department at Berkeley College of Music. Hi, everyone. I'm Kim Perlack. I'm the chair of the guitar department at Berkeley, and welcome to Coffee Talk. We've got Jeff Lockhart with us today. Hey, Jeff. Hi. Good morning. <laughs> yeah, Cheryl Bailey, assistant chair. Hello, everybody usual and Ian Steve. Hey, good morning. Cheryl, what are you drinking this morning in your coffee? Well, this is one of my recent roasts since I got in one of my pandemic hobbies is roasting my own coffee. And um, so this is the, I call this the 930 roast. It takes Ooh. about nine minutes and 30 seconds nice. to roast it, it. Does it okay. differ from the other times? Well, it depends on the heat. I'm learning a lot. Depends on how hot that skillet gets. I do it on the skillet on the stovetop. No way. Yeah. And man, it's definitely a smoke alarm situation, but it's worth it. How, <laughs> how dark do you like your roast? I like it really dark, but that's why I'm experimenting with the heat and the time. But, you know, in general, it'll take even, depending on the heat, 15 minutes max to roast it on the stovetop. You don't do it in olive oil, right? No, you just put it in a in a skillet, like a cast iron skillet. And it's like popcorn, like making popcorn. You shake it and you stir it, and then it starts smoking. Whoa. <laughs> wow. The color, you put in the green beans, and you can see the color change. But this could be another topic. We don't want to- That's wanna... amazing. We could talk Jeff... about this more <laughs> another time. <laughs> Jeffrey, well, uh, it is coffee talk. I mean, <laughs> got to talk a little bit about coffee. <laughs> That's true. Well, Jeffrey, are you a coffee drinker or tea? Totally. I, I have some Russian coffee this morning. Okay. Tell us about that. I don't know. I just was in a Russian market and they had coffee. <laughs> and somebody said it was really good. So I gave it a shot. You know, wow. and it's, it is. It's really nice and mellow. Usually I drink coffee to start Russian. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh that's sorry. pretty good. No, that's that really was bad. Good. No offense to anyone. No, that was good. That was good. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's, that's, yeah, that's a whole new topic list. 
<laughs> of guitar puns. Um, Our so next week, are we going to have like the dragon blend? <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't do that in the guitar department. We don't have that problem. Um, so Jeffrey, you've been at Berkeley for quite a while now. And um, tell us a little bit about the first day. Do you remember some things about your first day when you came to teach at Berkeley? I'm always nervous. I was nervous the first day. I think Rick started me off in guitar sessions. So working with the high schoolers was really cool because they're all eager and ready to go and ready to learn. So that was kind of cool that he or he made my orientation during guitar sessions. He says, I want you to get your feet wet and teach a week of guitar to the kids, the ensembles. And I, I enjoyed that. And then when school started, I don't know, I just had to figure out how I could connect with the student first. And the fact that Berkeley has a, a program of the proficiency that helped, uh, let's see, help me focus on little different things like the modes and the chords and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So my first day, my first days were just kind of feeling it out. Right. And you came from another part of your career to come and teach at Berkeley. So it must've been a big difference from what you were doing before to then coming and teaching in the guitar department, or did it feel like that? Did it feel like an extension of what you were doing or did it feel like a big adjustment to you? It felt like an extension because I kind of felt that it was in me. Uh, a couple of people said it's in you. Your father was a teacher, your mother was in education. So maybe it's in you. So my father had passed away right before I got the offer mm. and he, he was on me all the time about, you know, this gigging thing is not going to work. You know, you're getting old. He would always <laughs> remind me how old I'm getting. So, um, and he didn't like the fact that I play, I, I like to play a lot over one chord. You know, he was a bebopper, you know, mm. like chords and changes. So he would mess with me. I'd come home from Wally's and he'd be like at the breakfast table reading about uh, different stuff in the paper and and getting on my butt about playing over one chord all night and how I should learn a tune. Yeah, he was rough. You still vamping on one chord all night? (laughs) And I would be like, yeah, a little bit, you know. But um, he passed away we had a lot of discussions about where I was going. And then I got some work with Beyonce. Mm -hmm. And I remember calling him and uh, Jay-Z was in the room too. So I said, dad, you know, I'm sitting here with Beyonce and Jay-Z. He's like, put him on the phone. (laughs) You know, he got really excited. And then, um, I don't know, the discussions were cool. You know, he always read about Roger Brown when, when Roger Brown first got to Berkeley, you know, because mm-hmm. he went to Berkeley. 
way back in the Schillinger house days. Jeffrey, can I ask you, what did, instrument did your dad play? Trumpet. Oh, okay, cool. All right. Yeah. He went to school with Sam Rivers and uh, Cecil Taylor when they were at the conservatory, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, he would read about Roger. He would be like, you know, if there's anyone you should get to meet, it should be Roger Brown, because I like the direction he's taken Berkeley and he's trying to get musicians who taught themselves how to play. This is exactly what he said. And he's trying to show them the education world. Mm-hmm. And this was way back when Roger took the job. Mm-hmm. He had he had little collected papers of articles on Roger Brown. <laughs> so when he passed away and I got that call and I think it was Rick, he said, you know, we're doing orientation today. Roger wants to meet everybody. You're going to have to sit at a round table. And, you know, I, I got nervous again. I went in and I happened to sit right next to Roger. And he starts out by saying, I want everyone to tell a quirky story about yourself. So I had two, one where I caught a skunk and I thought it was a cat and I brought it home <laughs> to my parents. You know, they had company from, they had company from Alabama down, you know, and I snuck out the back door and I saw this furry thing and I'm like, oh, a cat, you know. So I ran down and I grabbed the cat, I mean the skunk, and I bring it in the house and I drop it in the living room floor with all the company. So that didn't go well. That didn't go well. That was the first quirky story. And the second one was, um, I told Roger how he talked about him and how I ended up, now I'm sitting right next to you. You know, I just, I'm like, wow, this is crazy. I almost brought the room to tears with that story because he was gone. I I just looked up and I was like, wow, you know. So that's my first days at Berkeley. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. It was. I I mean, you know, I don't know, I don't know. I do believe that when people pass on, their spirit lives really strong. Yeah. You know, it's still there somehow, especially if they love you. Mm. You know, that that spirit never dies. Yeah. He was, yeah, so after a while and then Engaging with the students was really cool because they always have good ideas, you know. And uh, one student came to me with an idea about the lettuce ensemble. He said, you know, we should do an ensemble, a, a directed study under you, and we can call it the lettuce ensemble. So he went to the ensemble department and talk to him about it. And that's how the whole lettuce thing started. Wow, okay. And that's and when they come to town, since I know them very well, I could always bring the class and 
was cool. So you pretty much, you integrated your whole musical life just into teaching at Berkeley and just made it one big extension. It sounds like in the, in the sense that you brought everything you're doing into the classroom, you brought mm -hmm. a really personal approach from your father to mm -hmm. your work. And then you started bringing students outside of the classroom into mm -hmm. your interaction with the music that you were bringing into the classroom. That, that seems like something that you do pretty constantly to this day. Well, the advantage is growing up in Boston, being on the music scene and knowing everybody and being the guy who likes to go to jam sessions, I feel, you know, some jam sessions are funny. You know, you get these ego people who don't want to let the players that are not, in their eyes, not as good enough to sit in. I don't look at it that way. I feel that everybody has a voice. And if you don't give someone an opportunity so they can find their voice, it takes too long to happen. So I bring them out and I expose them to places like Wally's because we always jam there and uh, seeing sound checks and how the real shows run, you know, at a young age is cool. You, you kind of never forget those experiences. So that's the advantage growing up in Boston. And I just know that I know the land. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jeffrey, that story was amazing about Roger Brown. And just thinking about your career and, you know, moments for you that really changed your direction. And, and I think probably for everybody here or for most people, you know, you set out, okay, I'm going to play guitar, I'm going to do this, and you're doing your thing, and you're dedicated to it. And so being prepared, of course, gets you someplace, but it's usually these sort of serendipitous moments that... What, what does that mean, serendipitous? Like, like you didn't plan it, you know? But, right, right. but in some way, it, when you look back, it's almost like it was meant to be, like that moment you're there with Roger was meant to be, but you, you didn't plan that per se, but all your preparation <laughs> brought you there. You know, like you were there all of a sudden you, and you, you looked around and said, wow, this is happening and I'm here. And, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I've, I think we've all had those experiences, but I don't know, I'd just love to know your thoughts about that. Like, for instance, your experiences, like you were playing with, Beyonce and Lettuce and these different folks, um, how those came about. I mean, obviously you were ready for it musically, but then there was all of a sudden this moment where you were able to make that connection and the door opened and then, wow, okay, you're on stage or you're on tour with those people. What are your thoughts about that? You mean unplanned stuff? Yeah, the stuff that really makes your career happen. I mean, they might even think, seem like magical at the moment, but when you look back, you're like, well, yeah, of course I was ready for that. I think it's good when, when it comes, when, when you let, when you have this thing in mind that you want all the time, I want this, I want a tour, I want to go out, I want to play with people. It doesn't seem to happen then. <laughs> that at least with me, 
You know, I mean, I was always wanting and wanting. And then as soon as I said, I can't swear, as soon as I said the heck with it, as <laughs> soon as I said the heck with it and just forgot about it, things started to happen, you know, which I, I don't understand. So now I just try to flow, be mellow. Like even, even though the world's uh, in an uproar, just try to flow and be mellow and spread good vibes and good music, mm. you know? Yeah. See, I actually believe that's where that comes from. That leads you to those places. It's doing your thing, right? And loving it and putting yourself into it 100%. It's like mm. the cream rises to the top so to speak. Right. Because going and flowing doesn't mean that you're not working incredibly hard. Right. I think that that is kind of a misconception that if you're in this flow or in this groove, you're not working on it. Things are just coming to you from the universe. But in reality, you're practicing a lot and you're working a lot on your craft and, and your art and what you do. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you know, the story about how, I got started playing, you know, my brother being in the wheelchair <clears throat> when we were young, my parents, uh, that's why my father had to stop playing because he had to get my, my brother some health insurance. So he put him in a hospital school and every weekend he would, we'd pick him up and bring him home. Mm -hmm. And one weekend he came home with a Jimi Hendrix record Ooh. and he's like, you know, it was the IU experience. This is back in the sixties. And he was like, man, you gotta check this out, man. So we put it on the turntable and we're listening to Purple Haze and we're freaking out. So that Christmas he wanted a guitar. And my mother was like, oh, you know, I don't know how you're gonna play a guitar in a wheelchair. So, cause his, his arms were kind of short. So he, she got him a guitar and, um, He's like, put that in my hands. And I put it in his hands and he says, I can't get comfortable with it. And then he said, you got to play it for me. Mm. That's how tight we were. You know, <laughs> if, if he couldn't do something, I had to do it for him. Mm. So that's how that really started. He had a, a friend that would come over who was also in a wheelchair and he played lefty upside down like me. And he showed me chords and it took off like that and so that's how you started playing lefty upside down yeah well i'm lefty right so i just picked it up and i didn't know i didn't know it was wrong <laughs> <laughs> you well know? you make it sound right you know so. <laughs> so your 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 high e is the is what we would be the low yeah e. <laughs> yeah he plays so he, upside down. yeah so does that i've always been curious about that because I've heard people say, I mean, it makes sense to me that if you're bending, you, you have gravity towards working with you, I guess, in terms of being able to really get a good bend, deep bends and, and, and wide, wider intervals of bends. Is that, do you feel, I mean, you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't know it the other way, but. No, I like pulling down. Yeah. Much better than pushing up. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's something to that for life, I think, you know? You know, what's interesting is this is the second faculty member we've interviewed that picked up the guitar and played it in, in the, their own way that mm -hmm. many people would consider wrong as a young person, like as a teenager. David Tronzo picked up the guitar, decided to play slide and tuned his E string to a D and never, like, never was pressured to change it to standard mm -hmm. tuning and play with fingers. And you, you did the same. You, you didn't waver from that, you know, leaving your brother and, and, um, and his friend for other musical experiences, you were not pressured to, to play right-handed and flip the guitar upside down or restring it. Did you feel like it just made sense to you that way as a kid or like what made you what made you hang on to the way that you began instead of feeling the pressure to change to what was more conventional, do you think? It felt natural. Mm. It didn't feel wrong. Mm -hmm. And like you say, there was nobody around to tell me, flip it <laughs> over. By the time I, my parents tried to get me some lessons, you know, they were like, maybe, maybe he's on to something. And they tried to get me lessons, but the guy, he wanted me to flip it over and I wouldn't do it. How old were you? So he, I think I was like 11. Yeah. See, that's something else. Cause that's what David said. He was 13. Right. And to say no, to have that kind of conviction, like this feels right to me and I know it is. And I don't care what you say, even mm -hmm. if you're older, that's really <laughs> something that, that you stayed on your own path. I think that's really cool. Cool. That's good. That makes my day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking about it in terms of, like listening to you talk and knowing this about your history, that one of the things about your teaching that I've noticed as we've worked together is that you, when you work with students, you're working with the whole person, that people tend to come to you with their musical issues and they tend to come to you with their non-musical issues. Yeah. And when you approach that, you approach the whole person and it's almost like you're telling them all of these things. You have to work on all of these things at the same time to become who you are on the instrument. Um, can you talk about that a little bit about your teaching philosophy? I think that, you know, first you try to connect to the person's mind, heart, and soul. You know, what, what makes them happy? Mm. Because if you're playing and, and you're not feeling good, then something's wrong. You know, because we all play because we love it, you know. Um, the complicated part would be that everybody is so different. Mm -hmm. Everybody's personality is so different. I had one kid today, two weeks in a row last week. He's from Korea. His guitar's here in Boston, so he has an acoustic. I can read him over the computer. <laughs> so that's the interesting thing about doing this virtual stuff because I look at, I mean, there's a separation, but you can still see a different side of the person. And I saw that this kid had something to say on that guitar. I could just feel it. So I said, uh, Han, 
what do you have today? You look like you got something to say. So he said, oh, thank you, Mr. Lockhart. I wrote a new tune. I wrote a new tune last week. And man, this tune was so cool. You know, he's in that funk concepts uh, class. And I think in the beginning, I approached that class. I didn't want to lock them into funk. I wanted them to be able to go wherever their heart takes them. So that kind of opened the door for this kid to present this tune on acoustic guitar where he was playing the rhythms on the guitar and hitting the harmonics. And it was just so beautiful, you know? And if I didn't open the door and not keep them enclosed in the funk world, that wouldn't have happened. You know, but I opened the door for everybody to be who they are. And mm. and that's pretty much how I approach it. Mm. Do you think it's- Man, I'm, I'm talking a lot. <laughs> I like, this is great. This is what's supposed to happen, right? So okay. right. how do you help them balance being who they are and doing all the work that's necessary that in itself might push them out of their comfort zone as a player? I think once you connect, doing the work is enjoyable. You know, they don't, I try to let them know, please don't be stressed. Mm-hmm. Find your own pace, go at your pace and just do the best you can do. Mm-hmm. So, so far it kind of works, you know? <laughs> I mean, you do, you do get a couple of wise guys. I had a couple of wise guys, especially the one that came in and wanted to play uh, the theme song to Mario, Super Mario for his proficiency. Mm -hmm. I thought he was joking. (laughs) He he wasn't joking, he was serious. (laughs) He's like, I said, what do you want to play it? He's like, well, I grew up on Super Mario. I just, and he did, Mm -hmm. he did a great job. You know, I don't, I think that was before you, I brought it up at a guitar department meeting because it's like in the early days and I didn't know whether this kid was just trying to push my buttons or, you know, cause he was a wise guy, man. He always had little snide stuff to say, but he, he turned out to be a great guy. So um, you saw past that with the wise guy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always see past that, mm-hmm. you know. To you, what does that indicate? Do you have a sense when you see it? What do you think about? I. What do you mean? Like if a student comes in and, and they act like that and you see beyond it, do you think of that as insecurity coming from them, even though they're trying to posture? Yeah, some something, something that may be either bothering them or they, they, they want to put you to the test. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, one student who came in every week with a different style of guitar that he wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. Every week was a different style. I'm like, I thought you wanted to do this. No, I want to do giant steps today. Um, he would do heavy metal and he could play. But I knew there was something going on. So one day I just said, we'll do whatever you want to do today. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to do hip hop. And then 
I said, show me what you have. And he sang this tune that was so heavy. And I asked him what inspired it. He said he, his parents got him hooked on heroin when he was like 13 years old and he went into drug rehab and he's turning his life around. He's going back to school and all this other stuff. Yeah. And once I opened the door for him to be himself, everything was fine. Right. I hope that's not too much information, is it? No, I don't think a, so. You, you, you edit this? No, we're going to let this one roll. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> but, you know, Jeffrey, I think what you're saying there, well, first of all, that whole, you know, private lesson or studying with somebody is very intense from these reasons. <laughs> like, you know, mm -hmm. you find there are these barriers and they could be some personal trauma or insecurity mm -hmm. or just immaturity depending, you know, I, even for an older person can have these things or just, you know, fear of judgment and all these things. And I think that what you're really describing there is how intense that can be. And, mm -hmm. you know, you as a teacher are so open. You have, you let the students come in and they open up because you have that openness and nurturing mm -hmm. of that, you know, and, and that mm -hmm. to me is where all that the young musicians are going to blossom you know? Yeah. 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 They need that. I think that's right. I mean, I think the tremendous amount of courage it takes to study your instrument at a high level and the tremendous amount of vulnerability at the same time that like you have to start to learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. a lot of times that starts with your private teacher. And, and, um, and I think it's, um, it's really important for people to hear that you're thinking about that right away like right in the beginning of teaching someone you're thinking about the whole person coming to learn the guitar it, and, and you know it's such a journey because every semester is different yeah you know unless you have unless you have steady students that stick it out for the whole four years which i've had that which mm -hmm. has been really cool mm -hmm. but Every semester is like a, like a smorgasbord of personalities and styles and all this cool stuff. And, you know, I have no complaints, no complaints whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Ian, what are you thinking about as you're here? I'm just really like amazed thinking about like these stories and how like you have an ability to not just obviously be a mentor and a master of your instrument but also like when people come to berkeley and they've got all these defenses up because it's a like we've all like we've all like come here in some like form or another and have it be like this kind of like you're entering a fortress or something and you have this ability to sort of see through that and to get it who they really are rather than who they seem to be. Mm -hmm. And that really, yeah. I mean, feedback that I get about the school is that it's very competitive. Mm -hmm. And the real good players lock out the, the players that they think is not that good. 
And that's not the way we grow. I mean, we we have to learn to to be around. If we can't play with you, we need to learn to be around it so we can hear it and learn, you know. I mean, I ran into a lot of that, you know, growing up in Mattapan and in the early days before school was even thought about, I would come, well, I would come down in town and want to be around the Berkeley musicians. I couldn't get near them cats. <laughs> you know, I'm upside down and and from Mattapan and it was like, well, nah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just don't look at it that way. There was one teacher, rest in peace, Armstead Christian. Mm. He took me under his wing in my early days. Mm. And he put me in his band and they were all Berkeley cats. So that made my father like overjoyed. <laughs> he always wanted me to be around education. And I'm said, all these guys were in Berkeley and I'm said really kind of helped me mold a couple of things. He gave me confidence. And then eventually kind of the Berkeley, uh, students at that time kind of let me mingle with them. But I'm saying that because we need to like more acceptance. Mm -hmm. We need everyone to be looked at as equal, even though we have work to do, give others a chance, mm -hmm. you know, just give them a chance. Yeah. Like you said about uh, Kamala Harris, how she would grow into the job. Right, I, that's right. We were talking the other day. Right. Post-election, right. yeah. That's a really good way to look at it. Give People will grow into something if they have what it takes. Absolutely. And you can see, like, if you look at her, if, you know, compare her to one of the young people we're talking about or a person starting a new job, like when you're thinking about the faculty, she has all the pieces, you know what I mean? She's brilliant and confident and she can go with the flow and, and then she'll make this job into what works for her and what works for the people around her. I think that's, you know, hopefully what we hope for everybody, you know, coming into our school as well, right? And just, I mean, Jeffrey, did you know that you were one of the first people I met at Berkeley? I don't know if no. I can do this. Yeah, so I came, you know, you have to come before your first day. Cheryl knows this too, right? To sign all the new paperwork and whatever. And I had just moved in to my apartment and my all of my stuff was like lost on a truck. So I had nothing. And I I just like had my, you know, suitcase or whatever. And I I like got changed and I went to guitar sessions was happening and the office the guitar office was totally under construction and so everybody was in the classroom 410 and it was like Larry and Rick were in there and I knew them and I was talking to them and you know I was like I was new and and there's tons of people around and I was totally overwhelmed and I I didn't know where I was or what I was doing and then you busted through the door you just burst in because your car your car got towed oh, so no. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, you had parked like by the BPC or something and your car got towed and your class was starting and you just ran in and you were like, Larry, look, man. And it was really funny because as you were coming, you know, there's a window and you can see and Larry's like, oh, look, there's one of our professors, Jeffrey Lockhart. So I was like, oh my God, I'm going to meet a professor. Okay. And then you were like, you just burst in the room and you're like, before he could say anything or introduce me, you're like, Larry, man, listen, I got the students going, but this thing happened and my car got towed and it again, it happened again. And I, listen, I'm just going to go back and teach the ensemble. And it really broke the ice because it was this crazy thing. And, and your attitude was like, well, you know, I've got to go teach the students. So I don't know where my car is. I just want you to know that's happening. And then you just looked at me and you're like, are you new? I was like, oh, wow. I knew I, you know, I just started and, and then you're like, okay, great. And then you left and went and taught your students. And I thought, okay, wow. there you go. I just met my first faculty member in the Berkeley faculty, totally broke the ice. And I thought, That's okay, cool. this is great. You know, so you hope, right? Like that was my moment where I had to think, okay, I'm just going to go with the flow and grow into it. You were already mm -hmm. dealing with all the madness. So, you know, that's a good words to live by, I think. Um, Cheryl, what comes up for you at this point? Um, well, I'm just really enjoying, Jeffrey, you sharing your, um, your philosophy is fantastic. We need more of that everywhere. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's, it's not, I, I've been, and I'm, enjoy this format that we've had. I'm really glad you joined us because it does give us a chance to have these longer conversations. But you know what? I know Ian always has a pivotal question. So yeah. maybe he could ask his question of you. Yeah. So I'm asking this of everybody um, and everyone's got a different take on this, but um, is there something that, you know, you can sense? I mean, obviously you're very in tune with what the students are thinking both on the surface and underneath the surface. But like, is there something that, uh, you know, somebody who's new to Berkeley or is a student, uh, like a blind spot that, you know, they might come into a lesson and they might ask you X, Y, and Z, but like maybe they should be asking you something else that they don't realize. Like, is there something that like, some piece of advice that you can say, like, here's something to think about, like, what's something that the students should be asking that they might not think to? Wow, that's definitely a pivotal question. Hmm, it's hard to say, because like I say, everyone's different. So there's no set formula. Um, Generally speaking, is this some sort of advice I could give them? I would say practice a lot and love what you're doing. Do not get frustrated. Do not let others um, dim your light, for lack of better words. Uh, be true to yourself. I guess that's all I could say, you know, because I mean, other people can ruin things if you let them. 
you you could have something really special and be in that wrong place at the wrong time and somebody tell you that little special thing you have isn't special and you'll never know if you believe them. So I guess that's the way I would look at that. I want to ask a question kind of on those lines. So as a person who you really knew who you were when you were very young, and then you've always played a little differently. And then you come to this environment at Berkeley where everyone's doing everything. And you have to maintain what you're doing, be who you are and build on who you are in this environment where you have people doing all kinds of other things. So do you have moments where you feel insecure because there are people who do are doing things that you haven't tried yet or you haven't approached or that you haven't done? And how do you deal with that? How do you manage that? Oh man, that's such a beautiful question because when I see some of these other professors play I'm like, oh man, I watched your video, Cheryl. <laughs> I was like, oh, gee. <laughs> um, that's where that's you're, you're yeah. too kind, my friend. You're too kind. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been watching those videos, they're really cool. Um, yeah, that's when I feel there's always work to do, you know. I mean, it never ends. And I always want to try to evolve into different areas. Like right now, I'm trying to re, re, uh, how do I say it? Change my approach to the way I play. Oh, wow. In what way? Um, I've been studying vocalists. Like Al Green, mm -hmm. Muddy Waters, uh, Prince, mm. um, just vocalists, the way they they sing and fade in and fade out. And the bending part is really intense. Like uh, I've been studying Muddy Waters, not Muddy Waters, John Lee Hooker. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the way he's slurring his his lyrics, I'm trying to play the guitar like that, and it's and Al Green, yeah. the way he kind of the way he kind of bends his notes is just what a challenge. <laughs> That's what I'm facing right now. You know, during the lockdown, I've been studying vocalists, nice. so that's helping me. Uh, change my approach to soloing because I'm, I'm not focused on a lot of harmonic structure. I'm just focused on phrasing and subtlety. Beautiful. That seems like such a whole other deep world, right? It is. It is. That it there's is. so many people doing different things and it's like, you know, there's somebody over here studying like this really intense, like these harmonic, mm -hmm concepts but like that's a whole other like these subtleties of articulation mm -hmm. and like tonality that's like that's a whole other deep well of yeah that's fascinating that's, that's cool. perfectly said 
that's perfectly said what you the way you described it and it it's uh i just figured you know try to go back to basics you know the way what did you do when you started out playing you used to put on the record and you used to learn stuff mm -hmm. and um that's what I'm trying to do during, I, I don't mind this lockdown, honestly. I'm so glad I'm not out here gigging in these silly clubs, you know, every week, you know, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm learning more about myself and learn, learning about the guitar. So I'm trying to be productive. Beautiful. Beautiful. You know, that brings us around to one of the things we kind of usually finish up with, which is advice for adaptation you know like so much of our lives is finding ways to adapt when things aren't expected and that's certainly something that you've done in a lot of situations like what you just said with the pandemic with coming to berkeley with being on different tours and having different phases of your career and a lot of the students who are listening to this this might be one of the first times they've really had to adapt in a way that's thrown them off course um, mm. And I'm wondering if you have some advice for for them and for everyone who's going through a period like that. Uh, I would just say if you if you want to get better on your instrument, just totally dive in mm -hmm. with the time that we have. This is the time I see it a lot in these students. I mean, they're taking advantage of not having to go out and be amongst people. It's just them and their guitar. And I've seen growth that blows my mind. You know, it's like, how did you go from that to this that quick? You know, oh, I'm just sitting around. I practice all the time. I play all the time. And that's important. Mm -hmm. They're happy and uh they sound better right yeah ian what's on your mind coming to the the end here no i i just really like that there's been a, a heavy theme of like really diving in is also in like from a from a genuine place and like mm -hmm. finding it like you keep talking about like following the things that you enjoy and not like getting frustrated. I think that also ties really heavily into like, you know, your whole approach with students that sort of draws something out that's specific to them. And the fact that you didn't have a clear answer for my maybe heavy question that actually was a really good answer for it, which was because you find something specific that like is a blind spot to each individual person that you can't give a one size fits all answer for it. I think that ties really well into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about you, Cheryl? Can you run for president next time around? Because <laughs> you got my vote. Yeah. <laughs> we would have like the best White House band. If you ran for president, we would all come. Who? You. <laughs> Cheryl. <laughs> What did you say? <laughs> I said Jeffrey Lockhart 2020. Oh, come on. Oh, that went right over my head. That was good. That was good. That's why we want you, because you wouldn't even think about it, right? That's, that's oh, it. Man. That's how you get our vote. Um, 
Do you have any last advice for, for the three of us who are like, you know, running, managing the department really, just allowing everybody to do what they do best. Do you have any advice for us from your perspective? I don't, I don't really know. I would just say, keep doing what you do and keep being who you are because you made my day, honestly. <laughs> I wasn't feeling right. And then when I saw the three of you, something <laughs> happened to me. <laughs> I don't know what you did, but I really do appreciate it. So just keep being you. Well, that's the perfect way to end. So coffee cheers, everybody. Coffee cheers. Thanks for <laughs> my coffee me. cup, but. <laughs> <laughs> all right. See you all next time on Guitar Department Coffee Hey, cup. look at my cup. Look. Oh, it's the bird. Oh. oh, bring the right <laughs> cup. Bring any cup right. you want. See you next time. All right. I'll see you. <laughs> <laughs>